0: Hi, my name's Steve Monza, and welcome to another of my podcasts about children's books. I hope you've been enjoying the episodes so far. If you have, please share the Anchor FM link with other parents, teachers and book fans. You can also listen offline on Spotify, iTunes, Breaker, Overcast, Radio Republic and in the Pocket Casts and Google Podcast apps. Just search for Let's Talk Children's Books and it'll appear at the top of the list. This week I've been away in France and haven't done any interviewing, so instead I thought I'd dig out a few old rhymes, ones that have been gathering dust on the bookshelf, waiting for a moment just like this to be given another airing. There was a little girl who had a little curl right in the middle of her forehead. When she was good, she was very, very good, but when she was bad, she was horrid. This often quoted verse was written by the poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow who also penned The Song of Hiawatha about an Ojibwe warrior who falls in love with a girl called Minnehaha what a great name that is. Longfellow came up with his little girl verse whilst walking up and down the stairs trying to console his crying baby daughter. When you think about it some of the first stories we hear in life are nursery rhymes, funny ditties and nonsense verse during our week away in France, my wife Chris and I took the opportunity to try out a few of them with Sparky Granddaughter No. 4, who's just turned six months. As well as Hickory Dickory Doc, Incy Wincy Spider and Rockabye Baby, the following French ditty seemed to go down very well with our budding little bilingualist. Les dans le It's all about little fish that, in spite of their size, swim just as well as the big ones. A great lesson in life for one so small. I also recited a few Dr. Zeus rhymes, ones that I used to tell our own kids. Here's one of them. (coughs) We have two ducks, one blue, one black. And when our blue duck goes quack quack, our black duck quickly quack quacks back. The quack's blue quacks make her quite a quacker, but black is a quicker quacker backer. (coughs) Not all tales for tots are quite so innocuous. I'm sure you've noticed that many can be pretty dark and grisly. Remember Roald Dahl's revolting rhymes? Some of his verses are downright merciless and brutal. Princesses getting their heads chopped off, pigs being devoured, tail and all, and Red Riding Hood turning her arch-rival into a wolf-skin coat. And there are worse ones than that. In fact, there seems to be quite a tradition in children's literature for barbarous behaviour. Take the Struvelpeter by Heinrich Hoffmann, for example, written by a psychiatrist in the mid 19th century as a pretty and funny Christmas present for his son. <laughs> it consists of ten rhyming tales, each one involving naughty children being dealt a terrifying punishment. Ah! One is about a boy who sucks his thumb and has them cut off by a tailor with a pair of giant scissors. Another is about a girl who plays with matches and ends up being burnt to a crisp. The book includes stories aimed at terrorizing children into eating their soup and scaring them into sitting up and paying attention. Back in the day the book was wildly popular. You can still buy a copy I checked. One reviewer said I suppose sensitive children might find them too scary, though my vague recollections from when I read them was of being deliciously frightened. Another German writer who tried to scare the living daylights out of children was Wilhelm Busch. His tales, published in 1865, are about a pair of very naughty boys called Max and Moritz. The two likely lads steal chickens from a widow and lay a trap for an unsuspecting tailor. They put gunpowder in their teacher's tobacco pipe, scatter bugs in their uncle's bed, and steal pretzels from the baker. In the seventh and final story, the boys get their grisly just desserts, when a farmer mills them into tiny crumbs and feeds them to the ducks. On the other side of the North Sea, we British have had our own fair share of rhyming cautionary tale-tellers. Hello Belloc, for one, springs to mind, even though he was born in France. Like Heinrich Hoffmann, he wrote a rhyme about a girl who goes up in smoke. It's called, Matilda who told lies and was burnt to death, and is actually more about not crying wolf than meddling with matches. Belloc went on to write a short tale for every letter of the alphabet. He called it, The Moral Alphabet. And yes, thanks to a bit of wordplay, he did tackle the more tricky letters. For example, no reasonable little child expects a grown-up man to make a rhyme on X. In another of Belloc's tales, a boy called Jim runs away from his nurse and gets eaten by a lion, which reminds me of another small lad who suffered a very similar fate. For this one, I don't need to open the book, even though I have a copy right here. You see, I grew up with a father who loved to recite the tale of young Albert Ramsbottom as a party piece. I do the same thing myself at birthdays, weddings and, well, maybe not funerals. Anyway, here's how the story goes. There's a famous seaside place called Blackpool that's noted for fresh air and fun. Mr and Mrs Ramsbottom went there with young Albert, their son. A the grand little lad was young Albert, all dressed in his best, quite as well. With a stick, with an osse's head handle, the finest that Woolworths could sell. Well, they didn't think much to ocean, the waves was fiddling and small. There were no wrecks and nobody drowned, in fact nothing to laugh at at all. So, seeking for further amusement, they paid and went into the zoo where there'd lions and tigers and camels and old ale and sandwiches too. There were one great big lion called Wallace and his face was all covered in scars and he lay in a somnolent posture with the side of his face on the bars. Now, Albert had heard about lions how they're ferocious and wild and seeing Wallace lying so peaceful well, it didn't seem right to the child. So straightway brave little fella, not showing a morsel of fear, took his stick with his horse's head handle and shoved it in Wallace's ear. You could see the lion didn't like it and giving a kind of a roll, he pulled Albert inside cage with him and swallowed the little lad whole. Unlike Hilaire Belloc's story of Jim, Albert doesn't actually die, you'll be glad to hear. If you'd like to know how he comes back, you'll have to read Marriott Edgar's monologue yourself. It's called The Return of Albert. I did once have a stab at writing some funny verses of my own. Twisted tales, so to speak, based on well-known children's stories. Mine were all taken from the writings of Hans Christian Andersen, who wrote no less than 156, the earliest while still a schoolboy. Anyway, here's one of mine called The Ugly Duck Thing. The average duck can quack and swim but otherwise is pretty dim. It's fair to say that very few are half as smart as me and you. I bet you've never seen a duck with brains to even read a book and even very simple sums are quite beyond our feathered chums. Poor mother duck was far from bright and as you'll see had rubbish sight. She hardly noticed in her nest an extra egg, not like the rest. A simple tally would have shown that whilst away her clutch had grown. Instead of five blue speckled eggs, there now lay six beneath her legs. Sticking up above the nest, this bonus egg outdid the rest. With dirty spots of brown and green, it smelt quite foul and looked obscene. A lovely lot, my duck concluded. Then plonking down she quietly brooded, whilst children shake their heads and tut that Mother Duck must be a nut. Within a week her feathered bum had warmed the eggs, the time had come, and tiny scratching chirping things emerged as baby ducklings. Mother Duck gave such a quack, it made the fine leg shell crack, and Bit by bit, a thing broke free that made the other ducklings flee. It was a sight to fear and dread, a creature with a gargoyle's head. This duck thing really was a freak, with fur and claws and hook-nosed beak. Poor mother duck began to quake, then promptly headed for the lake. Close behind, with chirps and squeals, came ducklings five, hot on her heels. Poor number six was all bereft. It puzzled why the others left, and mean old coots along the creek were swift to label it a freak. A big, fat tear welled in its eye. It gulped and tried to reason why its mother's love was not enough to see beyond the scary stuff. Alone beneath the starry sky, poor Duck Thing couldn't help but cry. It sobbed itself to sleep that night, silhouetted by a lunar light. As daybreak came, the thing set out to find a friend who would not doubt its not-so-scary inner part and help to mend its broken heart. No sooner was it under way than feathered fowl were heard to say, Get out, quack quack, get out of town, and as it passed each one would frown. One old grey goose with dreadful tact proposed it join a circus act. And three young moorhens strutting by, all turned and cast an evil eye. Hens joined in with frightful pecks, a flock of swans just turned their necks. Even little woodland birds chirped and cheeped such nasty words. So number six went off to hide, in rushes by the water's side. For many weeks it hid its head, and other ducks presumed it dead. The weeks passed by, days grew chill, the ugly beast laid low and still. No one saw it slowly changing, growing, shifting, rearranging. Feathers sprouted, wings grew hulky, the muscles in its bum got bulky. No longer such an ugly duck, the creature had an all-new look. Then, one bright and glorious dawn, as the sun lit up the morn, reflected in the watery brook, was not just some old dimwit duck. Instead, now shimmering in the lake, the thing perceives with no mistake from ancient Greek mythology, a griffin, plain for all to see. As gasping fowl gaped on in awe, the griffin raised its head and saw, across the sky, from lands afar, its own true griffin, ma and pa. For weeks they'd searched, both night and day, to find their precious little stray. At last, united with their son, the parents saw what he'd become. You're beautiful, said Mother Griff, stretch out your wings, I bet they're stiff. I see you've got your father's paws, and what a beak, and awesome claws. Father Griff proclaimed with joy, be proud of who you are, my boy. Rise up and greet your destiny, a griffin you were born to be. As soon as word got round the pond, each duck and goose grew very fond of claiming that they always knew what number six was going through. The poor wee thing, the moorhens said, the ones who once had wished him dead. Alas, this change may be no odder than fear of being griffin fodder. No podcast about funny rhymes would be complete without a tip of the hat to Edward Lear and his owl and the pussycat rhyme. It must be one of the most recited in all the English language. It's about honey and money and mince and quince and a very curious runcible spoon. I wonder if you've ever bothered to find out what the word runcible means. Go on, Google it. You might be surprised. There's no denying that many of the stories written for children embody some sort of moral lesson, homilies and guidance, to prepare young minds for the world and all its injustices. Let me finish with one such rhyme. It's simply called The Rain. I have no idea who wrote it. I don't think anyone does, which in itself seems quite the perfect irony. The rain, it raineth every day, upon the just and unjust fella, but more upon the just, because the unjust hath the just's umbrella that's all for this week perhaps you know a funny twisted rhyme worth telling or maybe you've written one I'd love to hear it thanks to the festival of ideas for promoting this podcast and to all those who've shared and liked join me next week for more talk about great books for young readers and remember it's not what we take from books that counts it's what we bring to them that really matters